Would you please open your Bibles to Hebrews? And you can remain standing. Hebrews chapter 10. What a joy to be with you. Uh, worshiping the Lord with you today. And welcome those who are visiting us. Be welcome. Hebrews chapter 10. We have been studying the doctrine of the church. And we first we look at the nature and the identity of the church. The church before we talk about the mission and what you're supposed to be doing. So now we come to Hebrews chapter 10. And starting verse 19, the author of Hebrews says, Therefore, and you remember, every time you have therefore, you have the context. Context is key. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the holy water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but instead encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You may be seated. I came across a, a U.S. news article from July 21st, 2017. And this article was entitled, Expert, Expert, No Duty for Laughing Teens to Rescue Drowning Men. That was the title of the article. And the article went on to say, it may, it may be reprehensible and morally outrageous, but legal experts, experts say a group of Florida teens had no obligation to rescue a drowning disabled man that they instead mocked, laughed at, and recorded on a video that was later posted online. Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy, in 2012, legal argument summarized that across the U.S., there is no general duty to render aid to someone in distress. You don't have the duty to rescue someone if that person is in danger. The blind man is walking in front of a car, and you do not have a duty to stop him absent some relation between you. The case in Central Florida's Brevard County involves the July 9 drowning of Jamal Dunn, 31 years old, in a retention pond. Police in the city of Coca discovered later that five teenagers aged 14 to 16 had made a video of the drowning, which was published Friday by Florida Today. The teens can be heard laughing at Dunn, telling him he's going to die and that they were not going to help him as he struggled and screamed. So according to the law of the land, in many places and states, you don't have the duty of watching over one another. According to the law of the land, you have the right to pursue your own happiness. You are, remember, the fall Adam and Eve, their sons, Cain and Abel. Remember Cain's question? Am I my brother's keeper? That's the spirit in all fallen 
unregenerated person. Am I my brother's keeper? Implying, no, I don't need to take care of him. And sadly, that's how many Christians live their lives. They live their lives just caring about their own lives. That's my life, and you have nothing to do with that, and I have nothing to do with you. You mind your life, I mind my own life, and we will be happy like that. So many Christians, they live just like that. If I just can keep my nose above water, I'm fine. The problem, brothers and sisters, that Christianity is not about just keeping your nose above water. It's keeping your brother's nose above water. And not only keeping his nose above water, but help him to swim very well and finish well. So, we are. We are our brother's keepers. That's what we have been seeing throughout this series. And today you're going to see some new responsibilities and new duties and privileges of the of Christians in their churches. The grace that saves us, the grace that saves us. That's important because we always like to talk about salvation by grace and amen. We love the doctrines of grace. But the grace that saves us also constrain us to serve and die for others. Lay our lives down for one another. We saw last Lord's Day but it's not because we are under the new covenant that we have no responsibilities, commandments. So many Christians live as if they have no commandments, no duties or obligations. And actually we saw that there are many, many commandments in the New Testament under the new covenant. But the greatest one, if you could just summarize the greatest commandment in the New Testament is love one another as I, Jesus says, have loved you. And all the other commandments, all the other commandments to Christians, they all fall under the greatest commandment, to love one another. And we saw the primary, and I think I have here, yes, the primary context for obeying this commandment, to love one another, is the local church. You think about all the commandments in the New Testament, they're all given to local churches. So the, the, the main place to display the main theater where God displays the gospel is in the church. We love families. We respect government. But the church, the church is God's peculiar theater. And second, in relation to the commandment to love one another, we saw that we don't define love. A lot of people, they love the topic of love, right? Oh, well, that's, I, I, we just need to be more loving. And they love when you talk about love. But God is so loving that He, not, he did not leave us open to decide and, and come up with a definition of love. That's what's interesting. Those people who love to talk about love, when you bring the biblical teaching of what love is, then they don't like that. Then that's unloving. But you see, we have a problem of idolatry. It's an idol. They created their own concept of love and if you bring God's concept of love, then they don't like that. So we saw the, the obedience to love one another. First, in the context of the local church. Second, God defines how we love one another. You do not define how you love one another. It's not a how you feel like. I, just, I felt like I should be doing that. No, God defines what love is. Love is always measured by obedience to the commandments of the Scriptures. So in our last study, we saw, we saw that one of the ways that we love one another 
is by fulfilling the commandment to welcome one another. How? As Jesus welcomed you. Paul says, welcome one another. Receive one another just as Christ received you. And we develop. How do we welcome one another? Remember to our hearts. Make room in your hearts, Paul says. Paul says to the Philippians, you are in our hearts. The center of emotion, the center of life. The members of the church should not be on the corner there. Or maybe if there is a space for them, we can bring them. They are in the center of our lives. We welcome them into our hearts. Then you remember, we welcome them into our arms. Welcome one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. We talk about that. Greeting one another. Welcoming one another without hypocrisy. And welcome one another into our homes. Hospitality. Today, we're going to expand and look at two other responsibilities. The responsibility of mutual Christian stimulation and the responsibility of mutual edification. Okay, so, the first one in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 19 through 25, and you see in your Bibles, Hebrews 10, starting verse 19. You can look at your Bibles. The therefore, as I said, it's just bringing all that he has been developing throughout his letter up to this point. And why is the author of Hebrews developing throughout the letter? Not a rhetorical question. I want to hear from you. What, what is the letter of Hebrews all about? Jesus is better. The word better, greater, over and over again. The supremacy of Christ. The supremacy of the new covenant. So when he comes to verse 19, he's bringing all that to a conclusion. Therefore, brothers, and then he starts giving the privileges of Christians. And that's verse 19 through 21. We have unlimited access into the presence of God. We have the help and advocacy of Jesus, the great high priest. We have forgiveness of sins through the sprinkling of Jesus' blood. And we have a clean conscience in Jesus. All the privileges. And everyone says, Amen. I love this privilege. I love this privilege. Free access to the presence of God. Remember the Israelites in the Old Covenant? Once a year, one man would go there. And we all, under the New Covenant, have this privilege of entering His presence. And we have true forgiveness of sins. And the remission of a dirty conscience because of Jesus' work. But all the glorious and marvelous privileges bring with them responsibilities. Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is what? Required. So with privileges, always we have responsibilities. And he starts developing the responsibilities with, his, with the let us. And especially verses 24 and 25. That's where we are going to be looking at today. And I have, let me see if I have here, yeah, the, the subject or the agent responsible for fulfilling these responsibilities in verse 24 and 25. That's very important. And you can see, starting verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we, us, let us, let us, our, who is he talking to? The church! All the Christians in that congregation, it's very important. Because the agent here is not a selected few. He's not talking to the leaders of the church. The professional counselors. That's the whole church, brothers and sisters. Every single member has a responsibility here. Are you a Christian? 
Do you have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus? Was the curtain torn for you? Do you have a great priest over the house of God? I, I hope so. If not, may the Lord save you. And then you're going to have the, those privileges. So if you have those privileges, then you have the responsibilities. And here's the first one that I want to emphasize this morning. Verse 24. For all of us, all Christians, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The first thing that he, he's telling us, all the members of the church, not just the elders, all the members, let us consider. Very important word. Kata, the prefix, noel, means to give very careful consideration to some matter. To think about very carefully. To consider closely. Like a scientist looking at his experiences and studying. Another Greek lexicon says, This compound intensifies the simple noel. And it means to immerse oneself in. Let us immerse ourselves in. In what? And he tells us. The serious contemplation, this careful examination is to stir up one another, to stimulate one another. This word, it's interesting. Uh, it, can, it can have a negative connotation and it can have in the sense of provoking in a negative way. The context is always key to understand the meaning. I think the King James Version translates as let us consider how to provoke one another. And that's not to provoke like brothers and sisters do to each other in a sinful and ugly way. Actually, this would be a good provoking. To stimulate in a loving and affectionate way. It refers to a holy, tender and good provocation and incitement. So the goal, the purpose of this careful consideration, this serious contemplation, is holy stimulation, tender incitement to do what? Love and good deeds. You have a ministry. You have a ministry of provoking, stimulating one another in this church. Are you a Christian? Are you a member of this church? Then you have a duty. You have a responsibility of stimulating one another. The Latin word stimulus was used for goading and prompting animals to work. Like a horse into battle. They'll goad and stimulate that horse to go to battle or to work harder. And that's the picture, to stimulate. We are to stimulate one another. Think about sharpening a sword and the blades and the sparks. That's, that's the picture here, brothers and sisters. We are to stimulate one another in sparks of love and good works. Are to come from this life together. Let me ask you, when was the last time, before you came to church, that you gave careful consideration to the members of the church in how to stimulate and provoke them into a real, authentic Christian life. You must think, that's what he's saying, let us, let us consider, let us think carefully, let us study one another in the church. What does it mean? I need to know their needs. I need to know where they are in life. I need to know what's going on with their lives, their conditions, their spiritual maturity, their physical and spiritual health. So this is the fruit of intentional, intentional and calculate deliberation. You must prepare yourself to do that. To give intentional, meaningful, calculate consideration to the members' conditions. Did you do this today? Did you think about the members of the church? Did you think about them carefully? 
Maybe this morning, maybe last night. Oh, I know what's going on with Dan. How can I come tomorrow and and, and just provoke him, stimulate him to live an authentic Christian life? When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you gave careful consideration to the members of the church before you came into this place? A Wednesday night. When was the last time you gave careful consideration to the single people in this church? And the single people, when was the last time you gave careful consideration to those who have families? Single parents. When was the last time you thought about them? How can I incite them into an authentic Christian life? And you see, that's not the job of pastors. That's not the job of professional counselors. That's the job of anyone who is not selfish. That's very simple. I'm not thinking about myself. I'm thinking about others. I'm thinking about going and bless. Susan, John, think about their condition, what's going on with them. That's why you need to have a relationship so you know what's going on with their lives. Now, most people come to church thinking, what? What are they going to give me? What am I going to receive here? Me, 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 me. You see, the Christian life is we, you. What can I give to this church? Can you imagine how churches would be if the members of the church were obedient to this commandment and took time to think carefully about the members, their conditions, find out what's going on during the, la- during the week. Oh, I know that Hannah had a doctor appointment. Maybe she needs a word of encouragement. Can you imagine we, we stop thinking about ourselves? Oh, every time I go there, nobody cares about me and me and me. Wait a second. When was the last time that you thought about them? That you took time to carefully pray for each one. And so, of course, you cannot do that every Sunday come and to every single member. But at least have some members in mind and change every Sunday and Wednesday. And the verb is interesting. The verb is in the present continuous tense, implying that's not a once, for a once in a lifetime. Oh, I did that once. I'm done. No. It's a pattern. It's a habit. It's a lifestyle. Of every time, every time, every day you're thinking about them, how can I stimulate that person for authentic Christian life? Richard Phillips, in his commentary in Hebrews, he writes, This is not an invitation for us to be judgmental busybodies, making the lives of others a burden. But it does mandate that we take a lively interest in the affairs of other believers. As the writer says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We are to study and implement schemes that motivate one another in godly living. This means that no Christian can be an individualist. We are our brother's keeper. We must give thought to how we can be of help to other believers. We must consider the impact of our actions on the faith of others often surrendering personal freedom so as not to offend the weak. This alone provides an excellent reason to come to church and other Christian gatherings, that we may be of benefit to others, encouraging, encouraging them and taking a care that they are standing firm as the day of the Lord approaches. We are accustomed to think only of ourselves, but our thoughts are better given to others. We should give thought to the condition of those around us. If we are not doing this, then we are nothing more than takers. 
consumers of religion who are of little use for the eternal destiny of other people. Not about stimulating, massaging sinful ego, but massaging, stimulating someone for authentic living. Love! And the outflow of love is the good works. And how? How? How are we going to do this? That's a call for all the Christians to be like generals, commanders of armies in battle. And you have a responsibility to incite and encourage one another. How are you going to do this? He tells us. It's interesting. He gives us two clauses. Verse 25. That's how the Greek text reads. You have two clauses kind of explaining how we're going to do that. The first clause is the negative one. And it's very simple. Not neglecting to meet together. You stimulate one another by being present in each other's lives. Brothers and sisters, that's ABCs of like anything they're going to do in life. If you're going to play any sport, you need to be there. You need to be there. You want to graduate, you need to attend classes. That's just like ABCs and people get... Are you serious? I need to come to church? Like, whoa. There must be consistent participation in the life of the church. Not neglecting to meet together as it's the habit of some. It's interesting that he doesn't tell us why. Why those Christians were neglecting. Most commentators believed that was because of suffering. That's what the book emphasized over and over again. The suffering. Suffering for Christ's sake. So many of those Christians are like, actually, it's getting kind of dangerous for us to meet together. I'd rather just stay at home and have church with my family. You guys go and do your thing. It's getting dangerous. It's interesting that the author doesn't give any reason why they're doing that. Why? Because bottom line doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There's nothing that justifies the habit of being absent from church meetings. That's all he's saying here. And that's when people raise all sorts of questions. And yes, I know that there are times, and it's very rare, with physical conditions. Under God's providence, sometimes people are hindered from attending church. But that's very rare, honestly. That's, you know that. It's very rare. Most people have other reasons for not attending church. And they always have all their, their reasons, all their questions, work. How about my work? And they always want to know, if they want to talk to you as if there is a law. A law. And brothers and sisters, I, I, I don't believe we have the sabbatical laws of the old covenant applying to the, to the new covenant. I don't believe that. I believe that there is a command that when your church is gathering together, you better be there. So the question, can I work on Sunday? Can I skip service? That's the wrong question. That's the wrong question. It's a heart issue. How much does your heart long to be with God's people when they meet together? That you would change jobs, change schedules to be with God's people. That's the question. How much does your heart long to be with those people? To worship Christ, draw in love for one another. That's the question. Will I change things around my schedule, my life, so I can be present with my brothers and sisters? To serve, to love them when they meet together. Do I have to go to church? That's a heart issue. That's a heart problem. And this is your ministry. This is your ministry. The ministry God gave you requires commitment to a local body. 
Have you thought about that? That your presence here is not primarily about you, but about others. I'm just not feeling like going to church today. I'm going to stay at home. That's selfish. You're not thinking about others. You have a ministry. You need to be there. You need to be there to stimulate one another. Love one another. So the negative is very simple and basic. And then he gives the positive clause. And it's a contrast. You see there, not neglecting the meeting together, but encouraging one another. They fulfill your obligation, your duty of stimulating one another to love and good works by, instead of neglecting church meetings, actually coming. And as the ESV says, encouraging one another. The King James says, exhorting one another. And that's the same word. And I, I think they all fit here. This word can be translated as encourage, exhort, comfort, urge. And it's not just a simple impartation of information. When this word is used... I always requires a, a response from the one who is receiving the exhortation, the comfort. It's eliciting something from that person. Interesting, the word parakaleo, the verb there, encouraging, exhorting one another. That was used. That word was used of exhorting troops who were about to go to battle. The language also is of courtroom or debate, wherein one appealed to another for a decision. The Holy Spirit, and now after our Saturday studies, and you guys remember some of the names of the Holy Spirit we saw, and was the Comforter. And that comes from the same Greek word here, Parakletos, the Comforter, the Exhorter, the one who comes alongside us to encourage, comfort, bring consolation. So what He's telling us is, that's your ministry. That's your responsibility. Have you been doing that? Have you been doing that? Giving careful thought, careful consideration to how to stimulate one another to authentic Christian lives by encouraging them, comforting, exhorting with your words. Have you been doing that? That's very important. Have I been doing this? Have I been obedient to this? How are we to exhort and encourage one another? Oh, I have the Holy Spirit. That's enough, right? He's the comforter. He's the encourager. I have the Holy Spirit. That's enough. That's how so many people think. You forget that the Holy Spirit, the triune God, is always working through other lives. That's how He works. Through other lives. So you see Paul, the great Apostle Paul, he says, I have sent Tychicus. To you for this very purpose. That you, that you may know how we are and that He may, parakalel, encourage, exhort you, your hearts. First Thessalonians 3, 1 and 2. Therefore, when He could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish to establish and exhort, comfort, encourage you in your faith. You see, God is always using our brothers and sisters who are filled with the Spirit, filled with the Word, to come and exhort us, comfort us, urge us. First Thessalonians 4.18 Therefore, therefore, Paul is talking about the second coming of Jesus. He's talking about those who died in Christ. 
People were sad. They, they lost some beloved ones. They were uncertain about where they were. And here's Paul's words to the whole church. Not to the pastors, to the whole church. Therefore, encourage, comfort one another with these words. What words? His words. What are His words? Inspired by God. The revelation of God. The Scriptures. Sometimes you see people, oh, I just, I, I don't know, I don't know. I feel like my words are so worthless. This person is going through so much now. And yes, if your words are not aligned with the Word of God, they are worthless. But if you are speaking the Scriptures, that's good, noble, and you should be doing that. It's your duty. Come alongside and comfort one another with these words, with God's revelation. Oh, encourage one another. Exhort one another. And it's easy for us to think about encouragement as the world does. So what is encouraging one another according to the world's standards? Oh, I love your hair. Oh, John, I love your yellow shirt. That, that's the world's way of encouraging one another, right? Oh, this purse that you bought is just fantastic. That's the world's way of encouraging one another. That's not. And that's fine to do that. If that's in your heart, not just flattering the person. But think that it's much deeper to comfort, exhort, encourage one another. You must be bringing the Word of God into those lives in order that those lives will live authentic Christian lives. Whose responsibility is this? We live in a day that all this is for pastors. The pastors, the, 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 the professional counselors, they are the ones who should be doing that. They are the ones, I'm depressed, I need to find a, a biblical counselor. Brothers and sisters, that's the duty of the whole church. The whole church. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And by that you can counsel one another, comfort one another. See that Paul is very clear whose duty that was. He gives the altar of Hebrews and then Paul in First Thessalonians. It's given to the whole church. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Not, Therefore, call the pastors. Call the professional counselors so they can come and comfort them. And yes, there is a, a time for that. But the sad thing is, most people in churches, they are not obeying this. And that's the duty of all Christians. Comfort, exhort one another. And what is... Let me ask you. If you are not, if you have not been doing this, what are you doing? If you are disobeying God's commandment, that's what? Sin. Sin. Very simple. It's sin. To not be engaged in mutual encouragement, comfort and encouragement is to be living a life of sin. Oh, that's heavy. Yeah, that's heavy. Oh, that's harsh. That's right here. Oh, I'm so glad I'm not a murderer. I'm so glad I don't rob banks. I'm so glad I don't commit adultery. Have you been doing this? You're living a life of sin. It's a command. It's a responsibility of all Christians. But I'm shy. I'm an introvert. Do we have this clause here? Do we have a parenthesis or a footnote saying, Hey, by the way, if you're shy, you're excused. And a lot of times, we take being shy instead of being real and say, That, that was rude. That was very rude. You should be encouraging that person. You should be comforting that person. So, how have you been encouraging, comforting, exhorting one another in this church? How have you been studying each member, thinking 
about them so that you can stimulate one another into love and good deeds. Let me ask you, because if we are not open about what we are going through, people cannot do that very well too. So, there are two sides. You must be honest. You must be vulnerable. That's why we talk about welcome one another into our hearts, implying there is vulnerability. People must know me, my struggles, what I'm going through. And then he says, not neglecting to meet together as it's the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, it's easy for us to say, oh, that was easy back then. They didn't have all the activities we have today. That was easy for them to always go to church. Do you know how many activities I have during the week on Sundays? Actually, it's the opposite. Because we are closer to the second coming, because we are closer to the consummation of all things, we should be giving even more diligent consideration to be together. It's the opposite. It's because we are closer to the consummation, the final judgment, that we should be striving even more to be fulfilling these commandments here. And secondly, very briefly here, the duty of edification. And I think it's interconnected, it's deeply related with the responsibility of mutual stimulation, and it's the responsibility and duty of edification. Romans chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, We who are strong, and everybody, oh yeah, I'm the strong one here, I know all these things, I can eat pork, I'm the strong, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good. And then here's the reason. To build him up. How about this passage? 1 Corinthians 14. Paul says, you strive, make effort, sweat blood here. To excel in what? Personal gain? Private gain? Strive to excel in building up my kingdom? The church. The church. First Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another. Do you see how it's deeply connected? The encouraging of one another. And build one another up. Just as you are doing. How do you build one another up? Just think about building something. You've got to be involved in it. You've got to put your hands there. You're going to build something. You need to take time. You need to be involved with that. You cannot build people up without being involved in their lives. Think about the word edification. To build. The Greek word oikos for building. And you have the verb to construct, to build something. Edification is the process of building something. To build someone up is to enlarge, develop, fortify, and strengthen. Beautify that person. Al Martin, he defines Christian edification. I think I have here. It says, Christian edification is the duty of all Christians to promote the growth of one another into wisdom, holiness, and service. I think that's very good definition. What is, how do I build? What is that to build one another up? To promote the growth of one another into wisdom, holiness, and service. And I think we can change, if you read the passage, passage there, and, and change the build one another up for this definition, makes completely sense to put there. So, we as Christians, 
have a duty, an obligation to build each other up, edify one another. It's interesting the passage in First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians five. The context, I think, it's very, very precious. Paul says, "For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might together live with Him." Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. You see, the permanence of a relationship affects how much effort you put into that. You're getting married. You know that's for life. Therefore, you need to put a lot of effort there. That's what Paul is saying here. Whether awake or asleep, we're going to be together with Him forever. Therefore, let's work in our relationship right here. Comfort one another and build one another up. That's Paul's thinking here. So it's our responsibility to be determined, to be involved with spiritual edification of every member, to be deeply involved in one another's lives in a way that we are building, edifying, strengthening one another. And the opposite is very important. Refuse to partake in demolition of our brothers and sisters. Refuse to destroy our brothers and sisters. That's why Paul is so so strong in his language about divisive people. Stay far away from them. Have nothing to do with them. Why? Because they destroy. They destroy instead of build up. So refuse. Refuse to demolish. To knock down the members of your church. How? Sinful criticism. Sinful criticism. There is a criticism that's very good and very important. But there is one that's very nasty and evil. Sinful criticism, gossip, slander, not being involved in people's lives, selfishness, just thinking about you and your personal likes and dislikes. That's how you destroy and demolish people in your church. You are not called to demolish, but to build up. Let me ask you, how have you been doing that? Think, how have I been doing that? It's a commandment from the Lord. How have I been building, edifying the members of this church? It's easy to think in neuter terms, neutrality. Well, I didn't destroy. I didn't build up. Let, let me just remind you, there is no neutrality in the Bible. You are either building up or demolishing. Okay? There is no neutrality in the Bible. Jesus is very clear, either for me or against me. Look what Paul says to the churches in Ephesus, Ephesians 4.29. He's talking to the church. Let no harmful, destructive talk come out of your mouths. Yes. Amen. But the negative is followed by the positive. But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. They may give praise to those who hear. Every word that comes out of my mouth, that's amazing. That's mind-boggling. I remember a young man many years ago he was angry at me because I was teaching about this. He didn't like that. He was actually angry at the Lord, but it's right here. But only such as is good for building up. We must measure. We must calculate our words. Paul wants us to have this gag reflex. Before the evil and nasty word come out. No. Wait. Is he going to build up that person? Is he going to strengthen that person in Christ? Let me ask you. When you leave someone's presence, 
Was that person built up or tore down? When someone leaves your presence, was that person edified in strength or demolished? By indifference? By the so-called neutrality? How about our works and actions? Oh, my personal freedom. I can do that. Is this so-called personal freedom building up, building up or destroying, my brother and sister? Your conduct, your lifestyle must be one that always, always, for the best interest of others, for the growth of the church, the glory of God. And it's interesting, especially 1 Corinthians 14, when Paul talks about striving, striving to excel in building up the church, followed by the chapter in love, Romans 13, ah, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, in Brazil and in, in hot places here in the U.S., a lot of the houses, they are not built with wood, but with bricks. And what do you need to put between the bricks? Concrete, cement, right? To hold those bricks together. And that's it. That's the, the image of love. The cement, the concrete that must be placed there is love. Love makes people think more about others than about themselves. Love drives you to your brother and sister to take his burden out of his shoulder and place it on your own so we can carry each other's burden. When was the last time you did that? Here, let me take your burden and put on my back so I can carry this burden. For here, hold shoulders together. Let's carry this burden together. Claire is pregnant. Many women here have had babies, you know. When you have a baby, you don't eat or drink whatever you want. There are certain things that you know that they're not going to be good for their life inside of you. Once you have kids and you have infants, you know too. There are a lot of things you must be thinking about the little ones. That's the analogy that Paul has as a mother, he talks in First Thessalonians. Of all Christians, we have lives that depend on us and we depend on other lives in the Christian community. You might not, you might say, ah, yeah, sure. You cannot live the Christian life without your brothers and sisters. You can't. You cannot. There is a mutual dependence. And we must be always thinking, what is the best for this life that depends on me? Can you imagine the state of the church in America? If instead of just talking about social justice and social justice and social justice, we are talking about these ABCs here. This is ABCs of Christianity. Sounds shocking, but that's just ABCs. Caring for one another. Loving one another thinking about how can I stimulate him or her into authentic, not superficial, authentic Christian life. So let us, let us, gracious cross, reformed church, strive to excel in building, building one another up. Not demolishing, not destroying, but building one another up by considering one another, studying one another's life. Come into these scheduled meetings. Prepare to encourage and build each other up. And you think about all these responsibilities. They are actually privileges. That's what's so amazing in the Christian life. The duties and responsibilities, they are actually privileges. Why? Because as you are striving to build each other up, you are imitating who? Jesus Christ. I will build my church. He cares for each one of His people. The Holy Spirit, the Paracletos, the Comforter, the one who comes to exhort, to encourage. So as we are fulfilling these duties, we actually have the privilege of being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So very practical. When was the last time you wrote a card to a member of this church? I have the cards that people give. 
not just birthday cards, but sometimes I get cards thanking uh, a sermon or thanking something. I have them right by me because it's a source of encouragement. So in my office, sometimes I have cards that people gave me. And as I'm studying, I read those cards and that's very encouraging. When was the last time you wrote a card to someone in the church? Encouraging, comforting, exhorting. When was the last time they calculated your words to build each other up individually? When was the last time, the, the night before you came to church, you gave intentional consideration to the different members of this church? One of the things I, I have been doing for a long time, Sunday morning, I go for a walk. Raining, cold, sunny. For me, it's really good. I go for a walk. And as I'm walking, I'm thinking. I have all the members. And I'm thinking about each one of them and praying for them and think about their lives. That helps me. When I come to church, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I know what's going on. But that's not just my duty. That's your duty too. Your responsibility. And as we do that, as we love one another in this way, we grow. We grow to become more and more like our Savior. Father, we thank You so much for Your love towards us. He who did not spare His only Son but gave Him up, will He not give us all things freely? So we ask You, give us. Give us a heart that loves to delight in Your Word, to delight in each other's lives. Help us. Help us as a local church, Lord. Help us to grow in obedience to these basic, basic commandments of the Christian life. Help us to be a church of examiners, to examine one another's life in a loving, in a godly, in a Christ-centered way, to help each other grow in love for You, in love for the lost, in good deeds. The Holy Spirit, we pray that You would empower us, change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.